Welcome to the Let's Think About That podcast where we don't just react. We'll break it down and think about it. We're going to talk news, the law, sports, whatever we're thinking about. We're your host, Ed Yeager and Lee Allen. Lee, how are you, my friend? I'm doing well, Ed. I hope you are. I am doing well. You know, for weeks now, we have waited to see if the court would release a decision in the Dobbs v. Mississippi case. Of course, uh, supposedly a draft that was written by Justice Alito was leaked weeks ago. And so the question is what's going to come out of the court. And uh, today was another decision day, but that was not one of the ones released. No, I kind of thought it might be they might put it out today to kind of beat the deadline, so to speak, and perhaps even surprise some folks with with uh, by going ahead and doing it. But uh, it didn't happen. There were five opinions released, but none of the I don't even think it was there were any that uh, there was any that we even had talked about in our in our preview show. Was there? No, there were not. They were fairly. uh, Of course, they're important, but they're they're fairly unspectacular or unnewsworthy opinions. Right. uh, Fairly pedestrian decisions from the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. Some somewhat esoteric lawyerly kind of issues, right? That's a better way to put it than pedestrian, I suppose. But I would say it seems like the tension just keeps getting higher and higher as yeah. this thing goes along. Yeah. Yeah, I I, I think there's some. Um, well, I, I hope that the tension can be released in a manner that is appropriate to uh, the rule of law. When, whenever the decision comes out, whatever it may be, um, but I, 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 I fear that um, these folks that want to uh, break the law with demonstrations may become more aggressive. Yeah, I'm concerned about that also. And it seems like they've been given the nod in the past from the White House and DOJ has certainly not done anything about it. No, no, no thing. One twist in this story is that Uh, There have been several instances recently about violence directed toward pro-life centers or pro-life individuals. And uh, we had the opportunity earlier this week to speak with Christy Brown, who's the executive director for one of those centers, Mountain Area Pregnancy Services in Asheville, North Carolina. And they were vandalized just about a week ago, a situation that has not received a lot of major press. Uh, although you can certainly imagine if it were the opposite, if it were some supposed conservative attack on a pro-abortion facility, it would be in all the news. Absolutely, it would. And there would be outrage. Um, and you'd have it would be outrage from both sides. Um, but uh, when the shoe's on the other foot, there's crickets. So we had a chance to talk with uh, with her earlier this week. Let's go to that now. What do you say, Lee? Absolutely. We're excited to be joined today by Christy Brown, who's the executive director for Mountain Area Pregnancy Services. And uh, Christy, we heard about your organization just this week. There was a story that did not get much news play, and uh, we want to get into that. But first, let's just tell our listeners what you do at Mountain Area Pregnancy Services and what your organization is all about. So Mountain Area Pregnancy Services, or MAPS for short, we are a 501c3 nonprofit based in Asheville, North Carolina. We work with women and families going through an unplanned pregnancy or a loss of a baby. So those services include a free pregnancy test, a free limited OB ultrasound, parenting classes, and then four different grief programs to deal with a miscarriage, a stillbirth, or abortion. 
There was an incident last week, approximately a week ago, as I said, it did not get a lot of attention in the press, but your center was attacked. Is that a good way to put it? Correct. We received a call Tuesday morning last week from our local police department stating that our building had been vandalized. We were not yet on property for the day. So we rushed here to find red spray paint all over our building. On our sidewalk, they wrote, if abortions aren't safe, neither are you. Um, On the side of our building, they wrote in red paint, no forced birth. And then we had broken out doors and windows, a lot of glass on the property. Well, let let me kind of pick it up from there. Who made the report to the police department, if you know? Um, we, we don't know. So someone driving by our building saw all the vandalism and called it in because, again, we were not yet on site for the day. So it was called in that morning. Then the cops turned around and called us. So we're grateful that someone called it in. Right. A, a good Samaritan of sorts, I suppose. Yes. Yes. And, and do you know how the the news media got a hold uh, of the story? Um, So we contacted our local television station um, just to create awareness because we are one of multiple pregnancy centers in the U.S. that have been vandalized and targeted since the leak with the Supreme Court. And so um, so we we just contacted our local TV station. We're, We're a smaller market, smaller media market. It did go viral, which we were not trying to do. But it, that just happened. Um, right. But we're sort of grateful it did because it creates the awareness of all the centers and how they're being vandalized. Have you seen any negative effect on people um, who, and I don't know whether you call them customers or clients or, or what, but any of um, any folks, uh, any effect on those folks, both existing or new? Not No, nothing that's trackable, if you will. Um, we're very grateful that our clients are still coming in. Um, we had a full schedule last week. We have a full schedule this week on tap. We um, And one of the blessings in all of this is several of our clients just reached out last week when they saw what happened. They sent us their child's photo or they sent us an email or a text and they just said, I'm so sorry this happened. Like, love you guys, praying for you guys, here for you. You know, you helped me have my baby and send us a photo. So we've sort of, yes, there's been hate mail out there, if you will, people who don't like what we do, a lot of online things. Mm -hmm. But um, in terms of our clients, the response has been great. Good, good. That is good. And, um, you know, I recall an incident that happened, I think it was in the upper Midwest, maybe a couple of months ago. But then after I saw this story and I was just trying to kind of Google more news about it, I started seeing more centers like your own that had been attacked. And you mentioned that a moment ago. Um, Is this and then you just just talked about the hate mail you received. Can you speak to why you think your services are hated by the other side of this abortion issue? Well, I will say at the outset, I appreciate that question. It's a great question. The The bigger issue here is there's a lack of understanding about what centers like ours do. We get labeled or we get branded that we are anti-choice, that we are anti-abortion. Now, it's true that we are life-affirming. We never want a woman to choose abortion because we see the devastation that that causes 
But where the rub comes in is we get vandalized because we're viewed as anti-choice, but our clients make up their own mind. It's their choice to make what they're going to do with their baby. And so we just give them the facts and the information so they can make an educated decision. And if people really understood that fact and how we truly operate, then they would not say that we are anti-choice because she's making up her mind. We're just trying to give her resources. And so um, it's because we get labeled in that anti-choice category, if you will. Well, I, I don't think we covered this before, but how long have you been around and how many families have you helped over that period of time? Well, we have been in existence 41 years as um, a ministry and as a nonprofit. Now, in 41 years, the services have changed over time and we've grown and we've added. But it's over you know, 5,500 families impacted by the work that we do annually. We serve over 300 clients every year, um, and that's across all the services that we have. So we're impacting 300-plus cl- clients, but that impacts their spouse or their partner, you know, their children. So there's way more people reached by what we do. I'm going to ask you an unfair question, but it, uh, do you think the law enforcement is any closer to solving this this crime, or have you heard? I can't really, it's an open investigation, so I can't really speak to that. But what I can speak to is that um, every agency that's involved with us right now, every detective, every police, every everybody, um, they have been amazing to work with. And um, they are actively pursuing this case because at the end of the day, what this is, if we call it what it is, This was domestic terrorism on our property. And so we are grateful that they are taking this seriously. And, you know, it's not just that a report was filed and that's it. You know, we want um, there to be justice served. You know, the police reported um, the day this happened that they had found blood on our property. And that's a really good thing. (laughs) So. Um, who knows where that will lead. So. Well, so you mentioned that you were still seeing uh, families. Are, are you back in business full uh, at the full capacity now? Yes, we actually didn't stop services. The, one of the blessings and the damage is that the inside of our building was mostly spared. Um, there was some glass in the lobby from broken windows. We're having to use an alternate entrance for everybody coming in on site now. But that's minimal. Um, our all of our rooms are good. Our ultrasound is good. Um, you know, it could have been worse than it was. And so we actually, the day it happened, we saw a full slate of clients. Now, we are calling every client and we're prepping them because they're not going to see a pretty picture when they pull on the property. Um, but again, the clients have been amazing. They're like, I don't care what you look like. I just want the help. And so um, we're just grateful that we can still provide these services. I mean, had it been worse than it was, we would have sought out an alternate location or something to keep providing the services, but we can fully function. Do you guys ever have protesters up there? Um, so, you know, Asheville itself is a city that has a lot of protest in it. Right. Um, fortunately, our center has not had protesters on property. Um, so I hope it doesn't come to that. <laughs> so. And you guys are not going to be intimidated by whoever it was that did this or like-minded folks. Um, 
Correct. I mean, it's, I won't lie. I, I drove on the property Tuesday morning and, you know, I saw it from the parking lot and then I walked up to the building and, you know, I shed a tear. It, it was alarming. Yeah. And, you know, the, the message on the sidewalk is a direct threat to everyone who comes in this building. Um, we were all unnerved. Our emotions were on edge. And then we're like, are we safe? And, you know, you go through all that mental processing when something like that occurs. But, um, you know, we are a, a group of faith and, and we're leaning into the Lord through this. And we've been called to serve this community. We're going to stand no matter the cost. We're going to keep providing the services. And, um, you know, that's the best thing that we can do is continue to meet needs. Great. I have, I have one more question, Christy, and Lee may have something else. But let me just thank you for the time you've given us today. We really appreciate that and, and want to help get your story out. And, and the only other question I had was you just talked about being called into this. I'm just wondering from a personal level, if you can share how you got into this. Oh, I, I joke about this. Well, not joke, but I sort of chuckle when I answer this question because I have such a God story of coming into this ministry. Um. So I'm a native of Asheville, born and raised here. I knew about this group from a child. My church financially supported the pregnancy center. And um, about six years ago, I was um, I was in a job. I was in computer software sales is what I was doing. Um, I have a background in mostly nonprofit healthcare work. That was a for-profit job and lost that job. And in my season of unemployment, God called me to start seminary. Now I had contemplated seminary in my in my life a couple of times and just had never gone. And so I got called to seminary. I started seminary on blind faith, not knowing what I was being prepared for. And then two years into that journey, as I was praying through what I was supposed to do, um, the door opened here at the pregnancy center and I applied. And got the job and was hired. And um, the crazy thing about that story, like it's it's been the sweetest journey in my life. But you have to understand that I'm a single woman. I've never married. I've never had children. I've never been pregnant and I can't have children. Um, And I've never lost a baby. So everything that our clients go through, I can't personally relate to, which is crazy. Um, but oh my goodness, what a, what a blessing this role has been in my world. The fact, you know, I don't have children, but I get to come to work every day and fight for children and defend them in the womb. And that responsibility is not one that I take lightly. And I'm just honored to be able to stand in this position. Thanks. Do you have anything else, Lee? No, I don't think I could top that. Christy, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having us on today. Again, we want to thank Christy Brown for her time today. Uh, we'll certainly include in our show notes a link to Mountain Area Pregnancy Services so you can see all of the services that they provide to, to families in the effort to help children. Indeed. We, we really appreciate her willingness to, to, to share some of her time uh, with us so that we could uh, sort of explore the situation um, in a little more detail. And Lee, have you been following this January 6th commission and these hearings? I have. Um, I, I've not watched. Um, I, I have followed the um, news reporting on it and the punditry. Um, and it, it seems as though, um, well, when when you lose Rachel Maddow, 
you got trouble. Is she casting doubt on the uh, legitimacy of the January 6th commission? She slammed them hard and basically said, and I'm paraphrasing, you got nothing. At least in terms of trying to try the then president to the um, uh, planning and so forth of the of the situation that occurred at the Capitol. And she said, you know, his talk was not there and it was earlier in the day. And of course, the committee did not play all of his his uh, remarks and took them out of context. And he said, you know, go down to the Capitol. And then they stopped the recording. But what he said was and, and you know, be peaceful. I don't know. I think it's a it's a it's much to do about nothing. I did see this and I, apparently none of the witnesses are under oath. Um, and um, and so, you know, it's a farce. If that's the case, it's a farce. And there was some effort among the mainstream media to to say that this was, um, I guess, an effort to publicize what the committee believed was criminal conduct on the part of the then president, such that uh, he could be charged. The attorney general was even quoted as saying, of course, he had prosecutors watching it as he himself was watching it. And then the chairman of the committee, um, Representative Benny Thompson, he came out and said, no, no, we're not going to make a criminal referral. So, you know, you wonder what what is the purpose in all this other than what we talked about on previous episodes, which is to try and distract voters from all of the economic issues uh, and, and other issues as well that seem to be um, most um, unsatisfactory to the the bulk of the body politic that are you know caused by President Biden and his um, his leftist policies uh, and 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 also you know sort of gin up the left wing base. Other than that, I see no purpose in that. Well, I think that's that's you're exactly right. I think that's the Democrats' purpose. Now, why is Liz Cheney be, being given such a prominent role? I think it's because she's a willing fool to try to attack Trump and all of his supporters. She can't stand him. And so this idea of just running Trump down for everything, trying to blame him for, uh, you know, the entire event. Right. And they've actually promised that they were going to show evidence that he coordinated this entire attack on the Capitol. There's been no evidence of that. And, and the fact that it's in prime time, as we discussed last week, is, is just it's, it's repugnant. Well, the first one was in prime time. The next one was during the day. And then they canceled the third session for some unknown technical reason, probably because they don't know what they're doing. I, I, Cheney's an interesting case. I, I think clearly she's, you know, if you believe the polling is anywhere close to correct, she's going to get skunked in the Wyoming congressional primary. Um, I saw her getting slammed today on uh, on the Internet um, by people who, who remarked that her husband was there today along with one of their five children. And, of course, you know, my, in my opinion, she's carrying the flag for the whole Cheney um, family, uh, which is deeply in bed. Uh, embedded with, uh, you know, what some would might say the deep state and the Washington, D.C. permanent members of government, you know, who may leave for a little while, but come back and so forth and so on. Um, but but they were the, the, this person was slant. These people were slamming her for not taking her husband's name. That That's her business. I, I, I'm 
you know, this is 2022. Uh, I don't want to get into that. But they were saying that the reason she didn't was not because she had some, you know, belief that that was wrong or, or you know, sort of some feminist um, argument against it, but rather that the name Cheney, which is pronounced in Wyoming as Cheney, but nevertheless was a political asset in the state of Wyoming. And without that, you know, she, she wouldn't have uh, her political career. Who knows whether that's true or not. But I do note that she has not spent a lot of time in her district in her years in Congress and has spent much more time in Washington, D.C. than she has in Wyoming. Uh, and I think her stance with Trump, I think she I think she rolled the dice, to be honest with you, Ed. I think she thought I can break with Trump. And if Biden, you know, of course, you and I would have said, of course, Biden's going to get the ship of state uh, running the ground pretty quickly. I don't know that we thought it would be this quickly. But if he doesn't do that, then I can position myself as the American people sort of move away from the Trump years and Trump himself. I can position myself to be the next Republican president. I think that was clearly her motive. Uh, And. You know, she she looks I mean, let's just say it. She looks like the world's sourest sourpuss sitting up there on the on the the, the dais. Uh, I think she is. I think she is miserable um, and and she just kind of wants to make everybody else miserable as well. That's a great way to put it. This is this is about her vendetta against Trump. Yeah, it's personal. That's exactly right. I have no respect for her whatsoever. Um, and and I, I wish that in addition to being uh, removed from the leadership, they had kicked her out of the caucus or the conference or whatever they call it. I mean, um, not not uh, she has no business, in my opinion, um, calling herself a Republican and claiming to speak for other Republicans. No, I agree. I think that she should have, even if she had this attitude toward Trump, she should have stood up and said, I'm not going to be on a committee unless the Republican majority leader gets to appoint other members to it. She couldn't even stand up for them. Oh, yeah. And and Kinzinger, too. And if, if the Republican uh, minority through its leadership and, and, and members don't appoint members to a committee, then the committee is not... Um, think the words are duly assembled or regularly assembled and and frankly they don't have subpoena power so uh, you know it, it's it's a train wreck uh and it will continue to be a train wreck yeah the only other point i would make is i did watch the the first hearing the one in prime time and, and they, they seemed to think it was great that they had all these multimedia presentations um, but they would take little snippets of video depositions from each person. And they would just string those together to try to make a point instead of letting the witnesses speak to any story. And to me, I began to wonder if the witnesses were really saying what they claimed they were saying because they were taking them out of context. And why wouldn't they say it again if they really said what, what they said they were going to say? Yeah, They certainly don't have a lot of uh, or seem to have a lot of uh, – litigation expertise because they're not convincing the jury. So I, I predict this whole thing is going to flop. It's going to flop soon. And after millions of dollars wasted. Yeah. And we'll still know, not know any more about uh, the security problems that existed because the speaker of the house refused to uh, worry about security on Capitol Hill. But we did see Paul Pelosi's mugshot this week. 
Yeah, that finally came out. So I guess that's worth something. <laughs> uh, the other the other big story from uh, Congress is that supposedly there is a bipartisan agreement in the Senate for some new gun legislation. Only it's a framework at this point and not an actual bill. Um, so I, I guess, as they say, the devil is in the details as to what the final package looks like. But supposedly 10 Republicans have bought in, including Republicans from South Carolina and North Carolina. Both from North Carolina. Both from North Carolina. And that would be enough to, to cut off debate and move to a vote. Well, like you, I think the devil's in the details. Um, I, 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 the Supreme Court, and I cannot tell you the name of the case, but the Supreme Court has already looked at red flag laws to some extent and voted nine nothing to uh, to say that these they are they at least in that case were unconstitutional um, as a deprivation, an unfair and, and illegal deprivation of due process rights. Um, so, so I, I am. I don't think it's going to solve anything. I think these, these crimes, you know, we need to prosecute the crimes that are on the books. We need to prosecute murder. We need to, we need to revisit this, this fear that we seem to have as a society of, of implementing the death penalty. Um, I think that solves a lot of your problems. I think we need to throw some money and some expertise at the mental health uh, situation in this country and not these laws that, that really only affect law-abiding citizens. And let me just throw in one other thing there, because when you're talking about prosecuting law, what about prosecuting the thousands of people who every year attempt to buy weapons illegally from federally licensed firearms dealers? Or who do buy them, i.e. Hunter Biden. And it came out this week, and I've not had time to run the rabbit on this, that he got not one gun, but two. That he purchased. Um, mm Mm-hmm. and, and, you know, of course, he's he's given a pass because he was then the former vice president's son and and a, and a, and a card carrying leftist. Um, but but let me kind of circle back, if I can, uh, point of uh, personal privilege, if you will. Um, I cannot tell you how disappointed and upset I am with our lily-livered, weak-spined senators. I know Burr is a joke. I mean, he, he really, with his insider training, I mean, frankly, he should have been prosecuted and put behind bars. But Tom Tillis escaped by the skin of his teeth last fall, in large part because Cal Cunningham had zipper problems. Uh, and, and Tillis prevailed upon the, the conservative base of the Republican Party to pull him across the finish line, and, and we did. And he can't wait to go up to Washington, D.C. and sell us out. And it'll be a cold day and you know where before I vote for that man again. Well, how do you really feel, Lee? I'll get off the soapbox. It is interesting that four of the senators who reached this framework are not running for re-election. And, and, and McConnell came out today and said that he was in favor of the framework, but he, he was going to wait and see what, what was uh, actually in the bill. Cornyn said this morning that he had, of course, been um, groveling with Paul oh, with uh, Chuck Schumer, and Schumer had uh, agreed that um, they would take this week to uh, write the bill, and then they would put it on the floor next week. Um, and, of course, John Cornyn is, as far as I'm concerned, in the same boat with Tom Tillis, although I can't vote 
for against Mr. Cornyn. And of course, the other thing we, you know, I think we have to mention is while we're talking about this Senate framework, the House actually passed a bill. I think everyone considers that dead on arrival in the Senate because of the filibuster. Um, so really, all the attention will turn to this Senate framework, the subsequent bill, and whether the House buys into it. Lisa Murkowski was not one of the 10 at the time. She's now come out and said she supports it. Um, she's got real problems in a primary coming this fall. You know, I, I wonder if, if, if there's a way, and probably not if the 10 hang tough, to delay this through the summer. Because as we know, our members of Congress don't don't really pass much in election years. I don't think so. I think it comes to a vote and it passes fairly quickly. Yeah, but then you got to have a conference and you know that kind of thing. I, I don't know. Not not if the House passes the Senate bill as is. Well, yeah, but do you think they do? I think that they're going to get presented with a choice of: Do you want anything or nothing? Yeah. Um, now, some of the, the more leftist members of the uh, the Democrat caucus in the, the House, they may not go for it. They may say it's not far enough because we're not taking enough guns away from people, and they may vote no, but I'll bet it passes the House. Yeah, unfortunately, you're probably right. So then, you know, somebody will have to take it to the courts. And of course, that's not a quick thing. Well, it's not because you can't just go to the courts because you don't like the law. Uh, I mean, as I understand it, you know, the framework is that the, each state would be incentivized to pass their own red flag law. That's right. So then it could be months, if not years before states do that. And then there has to be an actual case to take to court. So it's not going to happen. Yeah. That may be some, we may take some solace there and that it'll take a long time for most states to get, to get their acts together. Um, I can't see it pass red flag laws passing in North Carolina in the present uh, General Assembly um, situation, but who knows, it might. The other thing I wanted to to get your thoughts, actually, I want an explanation from you, and it's been on on the list for a couple of weeks now. Do you want me to hold back? Give it all to us. It's It's about this new golf tour that's sponsored by uh, some Saudi investment fund, I, the Live Tour, L-I-V, Live. Is that how they pronounce it? I don't think they're calling it Live. I think they're calling it L-I-V. L-I-V, okay, okay. Does that stand for something? I'm sure it does. I can't tell you what it is. It, it is, I mean, there's this, within the past, I think probably year, but maybe a little bit longer, you started to see various uh, professional golfers on the senior tour, what they now call the Champions Tour, the PGA Tour, um, the European Tour and even the LPGA Tour start wearing a logo called Golf Saudi, which was um, an effort by a, a group in Saudi Arabia to promote the sport in their country, um, mainly as um, sort of like a tourist attraction, you know, resort situations. But th- this this group, as you said, this investment um, group has gotten together and thrown a whole bunch of money um, towards starting this tour. And when we say a whole bunch of money, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. Oh, oh yeah. It's, it's led by Greg Norman, who I, I don't know exactly when, 10 to 20 years ago, tried to get um, a world tour going 
which would sort of be, um, I guess, in addition to, for the most part, the PGA Tour and the European Tour. Um, and he was shot down very quickly by, among others, Jack Nicholas and Arnold Palmer, um, who who basically called a meeting and, and apparently, uh, and there's some, there's some reports on, on this meeting out there on the internet, but, but they basically had this sort of stressful and tense, awkward, awkwardly tense meeting where they, they, they shot it down and that, that sort of pulled the rug out from under his, his efforts that, and, and the, uh, the two tours, when I say the two tours, I mean the PGA tour and the Europe, European tour, they got together and, and they have a number of these events each year called uh, World Golf Classics uh, or World Golf Championships, I think it is, which are larger events. They are invitationals um, and uh, they pay more money um, and and so forth. So they, so they kind of found some middle ground and, and, and defeated uh, Norman's efforts then. But he found this Saudi group or they found him um, and – started throwing money. And I mean, a lot of money. Um, they offered Jack Nicholas a hundred million dollars just to bless it. And he said, no. Yeah. And the story I heard was that Phil Mickelson's getting like 250 million guaranteed money. Right. That, that's a, that's a check he gets or a series of checks, regardless of what happens. Um, and, and, you know, the, there are other players that have gotten a hundred million, um, uh, Enormous sums of money have been offered to the, the better players in the world, uh, most of whom have turned it down. I, Tiger got something. I've heard several different figures, one of which was almost a billion dollars, and he said no. And and so the, the way it works is right now the, the, this tour play is going to play all over the world. We just had the first tournament um, and, and in England, and the next one I think is in this country, and it's the end of the month early July, they're not going to have as many events, but they pay much more money than does either the PGA tour or the European tour. And in fact, I read that the, the winner of the tournament in London got something like four and a quarter million dollars, which four and three quarters, four and three quarter million dollars. And that was more than he had made like the last four years put together. Right. I mean, that's, that's generational um, security for his family. Uh, and and he's it's not like he hadn't made a ton of money before. I mean, he won the Masters uh, like in 2011. But but it's not just a lot of money they're paying. And I understand it. They pay the expenses of each player. So what you make is quote unquote profit. And that's different from how the PGA works, right? That's right. Right. I mean, basically, you have to pay your taxes on what you win on the LIV tour, and that's it. Um, they get you there and and pick up your your. Um, expenses while you're there. I have heard that they are even paying all of the expenses for the caddies so and, and paying the caddy so that the player doesn't even have to pay the caddy. If the, if, if Schwartzel who won last week, if, if he has, and I don't know whether he does or whether he even needs to with this, this new structure, but if assuming that they're not paying the caddies um, and he had the typical, deal with his caddy, the caddy gets a base that's relatively small each week. Um, but, but the caddy would get 10% of a win. So if that were the case, then that caddy made $475,000 last week, which I mean, God bless the caddy. Good for them. The other thing is they're 54 whole events, which is three days as opposed to four. And there is no cut. 
the last man in the field makes $140,000. I looked at this week, this past week's um, leaderboard that showed the money um, after the tournament. And the PGA Tour doesn't like to show money. I don't know why. They, they're now all into FedEx points is what they want to show that you won. But ESPN typically will, will, will show the money. And you had to fin- finish. I think I saw where there were two, I'm sorry, three or four people who finished tied for 13th. And they got roughly 140000 apiece. So you pretty much have to finish top 15 to make the money that you'd make finishing dead last on the LIV tour. Now, it, it's only been televised so far on YouTube. And I can't believe that the Saudis will continue to throw money at this tour if they can't get a television contract. And they might. Um, so I think that's probably the the biggie. Um, and of course, the PGA Tour has suspended each player who has played in the event, some of whom have resigned their membership, some of whom just, you know, said, I'm going to play and let's see what happens. But I think, you know, even if it were to fold today or a player changed his or her mind, you're looking at a quite a lengthy suspension before you could get back uh, on the PGA Tour. Now, the European Tour hasn't suspended any players, as I understand it. They have a little bit, I mean, slightly – fewer or less, I never know which one's right, uh, events than the PGA Tour does, I think. Um, and they don't seem to be as concerned uh, or as threatened as the PGA Tour. Well, and also with the four majors, you've got the U.S. Open coming up, and they've said that they will allow anybody to play in the U.S. Open. That's right. And, and to their credit, I think, um, they, they said that, um, and of course it starts tomorrow, they said that you know we have a published set of uh, standards by which you can qualify for our tournament, and we are not going to. And of course, they're in charge of their tournament. The PGA Tour is sort of tangentially involved, but they don't call the shots at any of the majors. They have said we're not going to we're not going to tell people they, who have previously met our criteria and have qualified that they can't play. Of course, the Open Championship is next month also known as the British Open. Well, for for, for Bulgarians, but... Uh, <laughs> for uh, those of us who are just follow the majors and that's it, it used to be it used to be more commonly called the British Open, right? Yes, it did. Yeah. They, they, I think they take umbrage. Um, I argue with my boys about that all the time. I enjoy telling them they're, um, you know, uh, rude Americans. But uh, they, they control their, uh, their open and their standards. Um and then, of course, um, the PGA, which was last month, the, the PGA, not the PGA Tour, controls that event. And then the Masters, the Augusta National Golf Club, controls that event. I saw some uh, speculation when this first started happening that uh, the members of Augusta National may say they're not going to allow players from the LIV Tour to play in the Masters. I don't believe that to be true at all. The Masters has always prided itself on – welcoming foreign golfers and have gone out of their way to establish criteria for them to qualify beyond what they may or may not do on the PGA tour. So I don't think that's going to happen. And then of course the masters doesn't come back around till next April. So there's lots of time right. for them to make a decision about it. 
Um, here's the question I, I wanted to hear your answer to. And you know, I appreciate the explanation because you are more into golf than I am. But uh, here's the question I have. Is this going to last? Well, that's a good that's that's the twenty four thousand dollar question. And I think, as I said, I think it probably I mean, I think that these these Saudi uh, oil barons, for lack of a better word, have enough capital and enough um, they're 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 invested um, beyond financially, but, you know, spiritually or whatever. They'll see this through for a while. I think without a TV deal, I just don't see them hanging in there. Um but I don't know with that kind of money. I mean, you know, I just who knows what some TV network may do. Um, I think what will happen ultimately is that the PGA Tour will say we need to come up with some some sort of a settlement, if you will, that works for both. And that will probably involve increasing purses on the PGA Tour and probably – maybe even visiting the Middle East, you know, the European tour plays over there um, some. And because I, I, I think that's probably what's in everybody's best interest, sort of like the um, NFL-AFL merger, you know, or the NBA-ABA merger, although that was a little more painful for some of those. Uh, there were only four uh, franchises that survived. Uh, otherwise, you know, it may end up being like the USFL where because of the – television issues and the fact that people weren't interested in spring football, it collapsed after a couple of seasons, but there's just so much money behind this that I I don't know. Yeah. And maybe some of that's wrapped up in the world economy and what happens also. There was some, there is some movement now in the Congress among the Democrats to want to start, you know, to become Sarah Palin drill, baby drill um, and, and to improve, our ability to refine what we do drill, although neither of those are going to happen overnight. But, you know, you wonder if, if, if we wise up and go back to energy independence, I mean, it's not like the Saudis are going to go broke, but are they going to have the same willingness to throw money at things like this? Be interesting to watch. It will be. What's on your radar for the next week? Well, I guess while we're on the topic, <laughs> the U S open, uh, it's had a wonderful old course, but the Country Club in Brookline, Massachusetts, they've spent some money and redone it. And it's uh, a venerable old course, I think, would be the proper term if one were certainly across the pond listening to to their coverage. Um, and then, uh, you know, this Dobbs case, um, I, um, you know, I think we all have to keep an eye on that uh, to see whether there are going to be these uh, supposed demonstrations. Um, and then the, the gun, the gun stuff, uh, that's still, um, sort of, um, bubbling up in the crock pot, so to speak. And we'll have to see what comes out. And, and, you know, I assume that Cornyn is going to play at least a co-equal part in drafting this or his staff will. Um, but if not, if, if he, if he gets run over and the AOC wing of the party says, we got to have more. You know, maybe the deal blows up. Who knows? Well, there was one thing that caught my eye this week that I, I wanted to see how it kind of plays out. But the uh, the House Oversight and Reform Committee has a hearing next week scheduled for the Washington Commanders. That's the Washington NFL team. It's still hard for me to get used to calling them the Commanders. 
But for some reason, the House Oversight Committee is conducting a hearing on workplace misconduct in the NFL. And so they had invited Dan Snyder um, to testify that he's the, the owner of the commanders. And uh, just just you know, yesterday or today, I guess it was actually dated or released today with today's date on it. His attorney was Sullivan and Cromwell, which is you know one of those huge silk stocking firms sent a letter to the committee saying he wasn't coming. Um, and unless they met his terms and conditions about what they would discuss, and it wasn't real clear what those are, that he wasn't going to talk with them. So I don't really know where they get off that they're going to ask him to come. And, and certainly it's short of a subpoena, but um, I'm just kind of interested in how this is going to play out. Yeah. Um, what, what uh, I guess sort of a basic question in my mind anyway is, why is the House Oversight Committee, what do they have to do with, with workplace anything? I mean, aren't they supposed to be a oversight of governmental entities, federal government? Exactly. Um, and I don't think that the Redskins or the commanders or whatever they call themselves is a federal entity. Not at all. I mean, Dan Snyder's a jerk, but, you know, they're his team. And he certainly has done some things apparently that, that violate the law and for which he, he needs to be held accountable. But I don't understand Congress want, other than they just want to posture and, and, and put on more, um, more of a political show. Yeah. Political theater. Yeah. I think that's all it is. The other thing uh, I wanted to bring up before we leave, uh, Mr. Bookman died, the library cop from Seinfeld. Oh, that's right. I did see that. Yeah. Yeah. Actor who played him died, um, and that's one of my favorite episodes. And that was uh, Jerry had a, an overdue library book he'd had for years or something like that. Is that what it yeah. was? He had given it to George when jo- when Jerry was leaving the PE class. George was coming in, and the yeah the um, the PE teacher who helped the other students bully George, and the students came in and tried to bully him or bullied him and he ended up dropping the book and they found the PE teacher as a homeless man on the steps of the library. And sure enough, he had a copy that copy of that book, but Jerry ended up writing a, writing a check to, uh, to cover the, the cost. We'll do this show in memory of Mr. Bookman. Yes. His, name, his real name escapes me, but he's, he's always Bookman to me. Okay. Were well, you got anything else for tonight? No, I don't think so. You? No, I don't think so. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of the Let's Think About That podcast. You can email us at comments at letsthinkpodcast.com. If you've enjoyed this episode, please click subscribe on your podcast provider, leave us a review, and tell your friends.